This is Random Discourse, the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Um, we're back uh, with the Random Discourse podcast. I got Eric. I got Brian. What's up, fellas? How y'all been? Good, man. Good. That's good. That's good. Um... I guess we can get right into it. We're talking college football. It's it's Tuesday for us, but I don't know when you, unless you're tuning in now live, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but Will Greer, I, I, we might as well get, like I said, get right to it. Will Greer, how y'all feel about that? I, actually, Brian, how do you feel about that? Yeah, this was, um, it was pretty disappointing when the news came out on, uh, Florida seemed like they were rolling. I mean, it seemed like uh, there were a lot of experts that were starting to say this is simply put the best team in the SEC. It's theirs to lose. Um, with this news of Wilger coming out, um, it's a couple of things. One, I do think, and, and I, you know, full disclosure, I'm a little bit of a homer. I love Florida, but it does seem like it was somewhat of a mistake. I've been in that position before. I've uh, played college football and the trainers make it very clear to us that, hey, listen, you need to not put anything in your body unless you vet it through us first. So he definitely should have gone through his trainers. But it's not like the guy was injecting himself with steroids or anything like that. It just seemed like he was in a position where he wanted to gain some weight, bought something from GNC, tried to gain weight. It just so happens it's an illegal um, substance for the NCAA. As far as the Florida Gators go, I don't think this is as detrimental to their season as some people may think initially the initial news is shocking when you really look at it Treon Harris has started seven games in his career he's five and two in those seven games that he started um, including a win against Georgia last year and he almost beat Florida State late last season so this kid can play he's talented and I don't think this derails Florida season as much as some people may think it will no I agree um I don't know if I can really um agree or I go with the whole, you know, I took something over the counter and, you know, I didn't vet it through the trainers because there's a, I don't think you get suspended for a year based off of that. If it's, it, it, it's always something else. It's always something else. And and that's how it always starts. So I don't care if it's professional, not, you know, and, it, as far as in college, Will Greer's case, but it always starts out as that. And it, the once you dig a little deeper, it blossoms into something else. I mean, I think it was a, a, a selfish act on his behalf. Even because you you have to think about it as a quarterback of the team, you have you everybody is putting their trust that you're going to lead this team to where they need to be because that's that's your job on the team. And by doing something as boneheaded as that, where you know you're putting not only your season in jeopardy, but the team's stake in jeopardy. I mean, I, I I just can't, I can't go for that. I understand he's a young kid and we all make mistakes, but still it's, that's pretty boneheaded, especially the times that we're in now where everybody knows if you do it, you're going to get caught. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a terrible situation and you're right. I mean, I'm, I definitely don't want to make it sound like I'm excusing him because um, the kid messed up and it was a selfish act and he should have just done the right process and gone through his trainers. The one thing that does kind of frustrate me, and I hate to make this, I, hate, I don't want to derail the conversation, but 
if you look at last night in the NFL game, Antonio Gates was the player of the game, in my opinion. He had the same situation, a PED situation, and he only got suspended for four games because it's the NFL. Similarly, in, in, in a different light, last year as a Florida fan, it's frustrating watching Jameis Winston be being investigated for an alleged rape. He's out there on the field every Saturday. This kid took something from GNC and now he's out for a year. I, I just wonder sometimes, is the NCAA policing the right things and giving the right punishments to these kids? But it is what it is. And, and now Florida has to pick up the pieces and try to make do um, over these next couple of weeks as they learn to play without Will Greer. Yeah, and I do think they'll be all right with Trey on here. So I don't think they, they'll miss anything with him. And But it'll just be a different style of offense under with uh, with him at quarterback. But as far as him, you know, coming in and you know, ruining for Florida's chances at at continuing to a SEC East and eventual SEC championship crown, I, I don't think so. Not saying that I think that they're going to win the SEC championship. But um, I don't know. Uh, do you want to stick with the SEC and 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 you want to talk about Steve Spurrier? You want to talk about Sarkeesian, man? That's up to you. Which one you want to go with? Because both of them are very interesting situations. I, I'm gonna miss the old ball coach. To be honest, I'm gonna miss him. Even though he he, I think he he saw the writing on the wall and he did the admirable thing by retiring. Granted, it was a little abrupt. And they talked him into coming back this year, but I think he didn't want to actually coach this season. He wanted to be gone and let them start that transition. And and you know what? He's doing it on his own terms. It he's going to have to find out what he wants to do with himself now. But I I, I think it it it'll be good for him. I mean, I I, I don't know. I it, it, it's just an icon that you know it, is is going to be missed within not only college football, but that SEC conference, because he, he, he liked to rile some, rile some feathers, you, you know, Brian? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Steve Spurrier, in my opinion, is, is potentially the best um, coach in SEC history. And before people freak out about that, I know Bear Bryant coaching that conference. And I have a lot of respect for the bear, but Steve Spurrier took a sleeping giant in Florida and turned them into uh, the best team in the conference for over a decade. And people sometimes forget in that 10-year period that he was at Florida from 1990 to 2001, 11-year period, he won six SEC championships and made it to the SEC championship game eight times, coached the Heisman Trophy winner, won a national championship, went to the NFL, then came back and took over the arguably the worst program in the SEC in South Carolina who had never won anything. And he took them to 86 wins, three 11-win seasons. I mean, what the guy has done in the conference is amazing. And I'm just going to, like you said, Darren, I'm going to miss his quotes. I'm going to miss his comments. I'm going to miss him throwing the visor. And I'm just going to miss what I think is one of the top uh, five or six coaches that ever coached the game. It's going to be sad to, to not have Saturdays with him around. Uh, yeah. Um, during his, I think his South Carolina tenure is going to be tied to Connor, Connor Shaw. Because when Connor Shaw was there, that's when he won his double-digit wins. Other than that, he was pretty pedestrian as a uh, South Carolina head coach. But in, at Florida, that's where he, he, you know, everybody remembers him, adores him, loves him from. And the man only lost four games twice as a Florida head coach. Twice in 
you met, you hit it right on the head, right? And those were the two seasons where I believe they didn't they didn't um make it to like a major bowl game as well. They were always playing for things. Eric, what's going on, buddy? You've been pretty I mean, quiet. I, I, I got a pretty I got a pretty bad internet connection. I, I I didn't even I missed the whole half of that Will Greer. Sorry about that, man. It's okay. It's okay. Well, you gonna miss uh Steve Spurrier, man? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, like Brian said, one of the best coaches in the SEC, probably one of the best coaches in uh, college football history. You know, if you uh, just looking at it in terms of his impact, um, you know, on the game, he will be missed. And, and I think, um, you know, I, you, you had an interesting retweet I, I saw about how, um, you know, he, he was the only two and four quotes that, uh, that, that the media will let him kind of ride on. Oh, Eric at Eric connection. I'm sorry. I don't know what Eric was going with that, but because I, I'm quite sure he 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 was he was getting on a roll. Um, I'm sorry, everybody. But we might as well move forward, Brian. Sarkeesian. I'm not even gonna talk about you know what USC should have done, what USC shouldn't have done. I, I just want to talk about what Sarkeesian potentially could have done with that USC program and what they are going to miss with him. You know, I, I have no insight to this USC program out there in California. And I, I don't know if I ever will have any insight to it, but it's just one of those things that it's odd, man. It's really yeah. odd. I don't know why they wouldn't let him. Um, why, why didn't they, keep him from coaching this season they knew the man had a problem but yet they allowed him to go out there coach and make them look bad yeah I think I think you you're you're making a great point because I think it's a tough situation for an athletic director to be in because I think he has to decide and this is Pat Hayden talking about you have to decide do I want to make the right decision for the program long term and make us look like a disciplined program and, and a very a program with high integrity, or do I not want to ruin a chance to win a championship? And I think when you go back a month ago for Pat Hayden, he saw a team that was stacked with talent, preseason top 10, Pac-12 favorite by most people's estimations, and he thought to himself, if I were to remove the coach now, this season could be a disaster. What he didn't realize is that he was going to lose to Stanford at home and Washington at home, and the season was still going to turn into a disaster. I guarantee if you let Pat Hayden go back a month and do it all over again, he would have gotten rid of Sarkeesian at the beginning of the season. But sometimes that, that enticing nature of the potential of a season, you don't want to ruin things. I think the same thing happened with Lane Kiffin three or four years, what was that, two years ago. They thought they could be good, and then when they realized that they had lost a couple of games, like, well, you know what, let's just go ahead and cut ties now. I do agree with you 100%. You cannot have a, a, a professional that comes to work drunk, let alone a professional who's supposed to be leading – young men in your football program was completely unacceptable as behavior. I usually like to give people a pass, but if you're leading my son or my daughter as a coach and you're coming to work intoxicated, I have a serious problem with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how USC tries to hold this season together and then who they go after next. It, it, it is. And um, just as far as Sarkeesian, I mean, if, the, if you knew the man had a problem, you need to confront him with his problem. And you knew he had a problem before the season started and you needed to confront him with this problem. No matter if, even if he had to take the year, step away a year 
and go take care of his problem and come back, it would have been better than what what you're facing now. You're 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 yet again looking for another head coach at the USC program. It's been what Lane Kiffin. It was um, who else? It was Sarkeesian. Who was in between them? Uh, Ed Orgeron. Ed, Ed Orgeron, yes. And Ed Orgeron has act, had actually started building something there, and they got hit with those sanctions. Yeah. Um, so what what are you going? What are they going to do? Because they're going to have to play it safe at, as far as the head coach goes. But you can't play it safe as far as being the head coach of USC program. You have to be able to to walk that line to be able to bring that entertainment to the school to see, hey. This is what you could be around. This is what you could be part of. Well, you're absolutely right. I think this this is one of those rare programs that it's not in a small town. Like some of these programs, like Gainesville is a college town. Ann Arbor is a college town. This school is smack dab in the middle of L.A. That's not a college town. That's a place where the Hollywood's around, limelight's in there. You know, we all seen Snoop Dogg and, uh, you know, uh, Will, Will, uh, what's his name? Will Ferrell. Well, fear all these guys on the sidelines. I mean, this is a premier job. You have to have a personality. But here's where I would, would say, after all of the personalities they've had over the past couple of years with Lane Kiffin, which was exciting to watch, although he didn't win a ton of games. Steve Sarkeesian, it's been a little exciting. And with this drama, it's kind of L.A.-like. But I'm telling you what, if you go for another guy like that, one, you're going to have a, a fan base of stars to tell themselves, why can't we win? Why are we losing? And I think that's why you are going to see them play it safe as far as a person that comes to that program that has integrity, that has no issues with, you know, off the field issues, never got in any trouble, but that can also win games. That's why, I mean, I put together a list. I won't go all the way down my top 10, but I'm telling you the guy that I think they're really going to go hard after is Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. He's a clean cut guy. He's a young coach. He's got a good personality. He's integrity. His team plays hard. That's the guy I think is right for this job right now, considering all the trouble that they've had. I mean, you can't go too vanilla, and I think going Pat Fitzgerald might be going a little bit too it's vanilla. vanilla right? It is vanilla. <laughs> going a little bit too vanilla. That's not going to win you over too many fans. It unless they win season. games, though. Unless they win That's games. That's true. That's true. But I do, I do like his defense, his defensive mindset. That I think something USC needs to get back to. That's what they had around that Pete Carroll era. era. Yeah. Granted, that's what got them the sanctions as well. But that, I mean, that was their best era as well. A, a very good era. Oh, Mike, Mike doesn't want us to take uh, Utah's coach. Who, it was that uh, – what's, what's Utah? Kyle. Uh, Kyle Whittingham. Yeah, Kyle Whittingham. He would be a good pickup as far. That's actually but a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. It is. It is. Uh, I like those – I like the, I like Utah this season. They're playing very well. I mean, we might even – no, nah, we're not talking Utah today. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> All right, so might as well just hop into week seven, man. Um, I think we lost Eric to technical difficulties, so if you're trying to figure out what, why you're not hearing Eric, that's why. So we just talked USC. Um, we might as well talk USC Notre Dame because this is going to be this is this is a big game for that USC program to on how they are going to want to finish out their season. Um. Notre Dame is coming off a tough defeat from Clemson and USC just lost their head coach. They need, I say a statement when I wouldn't even say Utah, I'm not Utah, but USC needs that. Pat, Pat Hayden needs that yeah. for a vote of confidence from the boosters. 
to yep. make to at least see that hey, the coaching staff hasn't been affected by Steve Sarkeesian, and I, I don't want to say that in a bad way, but you know his the the lack of control that he would have had amongst his team, his program, everything else, because he couldn't have had that with his his problem. So I think I do think that 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 is a big thing coming into this week. I know you I know you have plenty to talk about with this. So uh, what 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 do you think? I actually think this is a very um, dangerous game for Notre Dame because anytime you see a team that's supposed to be down, and I will get to LSU Florida later as well. But when teams appear to be down, whether it's in the NFL or in the college game, football is one of those rare sports where teams rally together um, when they face that adversity. Um, th- this interim coach, Clay Helton, he's, he's a very good offensive coordinator. He's, he's, he's had a couple of rough games this year, but he's, he's called great offenses over the past two years. He had a great offense up in Washington with uh, Steve Sarkeesian a, a couple of years ago. So I think that this game comes down to how prepared is Notre Dame to face a hungry USC team. If USC plays a good football game to their capability, they can, they can beat this team. They can go right into South Bend and get a W. Notre Dame is not – so good that they can't um, be beat by a USC team that's hungry. The question I, but the question is, is USC going to band together or are they going to let this break them apart? You got to look at your leadership. You got to look at Swap Ravens in the secondary on the defense side of the ball. You got to look at Cody Kessel on the offensive side of the ball. Can those guys get that rallying point? Have a team, you know, players only meeting. Really get those guys to bond together and say, this is our chance to prove that this program is not about the coach. It's about the players. And you know, we're, you know, fight on is what we're going to do in Notre Dame. It's a matter of can they get those guys to believe that. I mean, uh, but that's going to be up to to the interim head coach and the rest of that coaching staff. They're going to have to get everybody to believe in what they're preaching and what they're what what they can actually accomplish with the rest of this season. Um, but I'm I I think this game is big for. USC, but it might be a little bigger for Notre Dame because Notre Dame, prior to you know these last five games, they were they had lost eight straight to USC, and they won three of the last five, but they did get blown out last year. I, I believe that what was that at USC though. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they need to shake this off because. You have one team that's trying to define their program and get ready for a tough stretch that they're going in, getting ready to come up with with the, with their uh, next few games in USC. And you have Notre Dame that's wanting to show that hey, that loss at Clemson was was more weather based than actually Clemson being a better team than us. Yeah, I'm and, with you. Notre, Notre Dame has a very difficult schedule, and I always thought that October was going to be that month that kind of determined, is this Notre Dame team a playoff team, or are they an 84-9-3, you know, go to a decent bowl game? And the, the, I actually 100% agree with you. This game is more important for Notre Dame because USC, if they lose, they can say, oh, well, we had all those off-the-field issues, the Sarkeesian thing, we were supposed to lose. If Notre Dame loses to this wounded team coming into South Bend, now, now you're going to have to start having some serious questions about can Brian Kelly get the job done? Can he win the big game? And this mm-hmm. was supposed to be a season that Notre Dame competes for the playoffs. If they don't win this game, I think the pressure really ratchets up for Brian Kelly and the Irish. It does, it, and it will. Um, but, I mean, we might as well continue on, on that same track as far as teams trying to deal with adversity. And 
talk about our beloved Florida Gators and them getting ready to play Leonard and the Fournettes. <laughs> <laughs> because I know Florida. I, I trust I, – I have more trust in this Florida team than I've had in a long time. And that has nothing to do with Will Muschamp and his coaching ability, although it is looking like it was a good loss for Florida because Auburn's defense hasn't played as well as everybody mm-hmm. thought I thought it would. But it's something about McElwain that he he's proven. I guess he's proven with you know these tough games and bringing Florida six and zero when nobody thought they were going to start six and zero that. You know he he has what it takes to be able to win in the SEC and to make the and to bring Florida back to the Florida of olden days when Steve Spurrier was there and Urban Meyer was there. Yeah, so, I mean, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So when you really look at this situation, I think what you, what you mentioned about McElwain is so important because I, I want to touch on the coaching tree he comes from. I'm sure everybody knows he coached under Nick Saban for quite a while at Alabama as the quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. And if you look back at those Alabama teams, really every Alabama team, but specifically when he was there, those teams were never about one player. They always had multiple people that could do the job. Even if A.J. McCarron got hurt, he had plenty of people on the bench that could get the job done. Greg McElroy got hurt. He could have A.J. McCarron come in. If Mark Ingram got hurt, he had Trent Richardson. They're a, they're a deep team. They were always a deep team. And I think if you look at Colorado State when, during Jim McElroy's time there, it was the same situation. He had a lot of injuries he dealt with over his three-year stretch there, but he never – uh, he never went backwards because of one or two people getting injured. So if you look at this Florida team, the way he constructed this thing before the season, giving both quarterbacks equal time, even starting Treon Harris at the, in the first game of the season, I think he always expected that, hey, something can happen to a starter. I've got to have the rest of that, that backup prepared. So mm-hmm. while most teams, if they lose their quarterback, it could ruin their season, especially with as well as Greer's going to land. Treon Harris is ready to play. This kid's chomping at the bit to go out there and make plays. For his team, and he did this six games last year, so he's not going to be like some fresh-faced deer in the headlights kid. He's he's ready to play this game. I expect him to actually play pretty well. I, I think he might actually outplay the the, um, the LSU quarterback who has shown us nothing so far this season. I mean, Brandon Harris did throw for over two hundred yards, close to three hundred yards last week. So I think you can see what LSU is doing. And I did mention this earlier in the season that LSU was slow playing Brandon Harris and allowing Leonard Fournette to carry the team until it came, you know, uh, big game time, like what we're getting ready to see now because we're hitting the midpoint of the season, getting ready to enter into the home stretch. So you need to have a complete team. You cannot have uh, uh an unbalanced team in any shape, way, form, or fashion, and think you're going to be successful coming and coming into uh, the these tough games. Uh, as far as these this matchup is concerned, the quarterback matchup did, did intrigue me. Did you know that there hasn't been a 200 yard a quarterback to throw for over 200 yards, not even 300 yards, 200 yards since 2008 when LSU and Florida matchup. And that was with the great Jared Lee and Tim Tebow. <laughs> that actually is, that's a really good stat. And now that I think back at watching all those games, yeah, it was always running game and defense for both teams. It's run, exactly. And this season is, it's not going to, well, I shouldn't even say this season. This game is not going to be any different. I, I expect a very low scoring game. I expect Florida to go all out 
in stopping Leonard Fournette and making sure that he doesn't rush for over 150 yards on them. Not saying he's not going to rush for over 100 yards. I haven't seen anybody do it yet um, this season. So that's that's going to be a very tall task. But keeping him under 150 will will keep them in winning distance. I agree um, with you. I agree with you, and I think that the key for Florida that most teams don't have is a secondary that can play man coverage across the board. Now, granted, Malachi Dupree and some of those receivers for LSU are highly touted. They've got a ton of talent, but Florida's defensive secondary does not bow down to anybody. I mean, they are, in my opinion, the best secondary in the country. They're not going to be afraid to play man coverage across the board and say, listen, if Brandon Harris can beat us, and if these receivers can beat our great secondary, go ahead. But we're not going to sit down and put zone up and put these safeties back. They're going to put seven, eight in the box every single play. And their job is going to be, they're going to say, we will stop Leonard Fournette and sell out to stop him and see if Brandon Harris can beat us over the top. So I think the pressure in this game is not on Leonard Fournette, not on the Florida defense. The pressure in this game is squarely on Brandon Harris's shoulders. Can he get the ball over the top and pick apart the Florida secondary? Because Florida's going to try to stop the run. They're going to do everything they can to stop Fournette. I mean, Eric says he, he thinks LSU is going to do the exact same thing. And and I don't disagree with you, Eric. And, you know, I and you're right. UF does not have Leonard Fournette. But Leonard Fournette, it still is, is a, what, 19, 20-year-old college kid. He's not, you know, um, a, a robot. He, he, he can be slowed down. I don't – I haven't seen anybody stop him, but he can be slowed down. And so I I think that's Florida's game plan. Slow him down and don't let Brandon Harris beat you, which he hasn't shown he can do yet. And the Florida secondary is one of the tops in the nation. So I think they'll be up to that task. Let's stick in the AC, the SEC and talk Alabama, Texas A&M. That's a, these have always been good matchups, except for last mm-hmm. season when Alabama just dusted Texas A&M. But, <laughs> The Kevin Sumlin doesn't want to, you know, forget about that either. Um, I just want to know, I, I still am not sold on Alabama's pass defense. Um, are you, Brian? Because they need to be stout and ready to play if if they want to run with this Texas A&M team this season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I – think, um... Kevin Summers is one of the best offensive minds in the game. I mean, he's proven that in every stop he's been at, Oklahoma, Houston, everywhere. And he's done the same thing in A&M. Um, Alabama's secondary is going to be tested quite heavily in this game. And, I mean, Nick Saban, he's, he built his career on being a secondary coach. That's where he started. So this is a big challenge for him and Kirby Smart to get this defensive secondary uh, to be ready to play against these elite and fast receivers, speedy. I mean, these guys for Texas A&M are playmakers. And uh, I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. That's the matchup I want to see the most. We know Alabama's front seven is going to be stout against run. We know Texas A&M's front four are going to get a pass rush. Can Alabama's secondary stick with the, uh, with the, with the receivers of Texas A&M? That's the matchup. You're, you're, you're completely right. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I like the matchup of freshman wide receivers and Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley. Both have stepped up to be the number one options for their respective teams. Calvin Ridley, I think, more so based off of necessity with Foster going down because I, I think they would like to bring him along slower, slower. But Christian Kirk has come out and 
replaced Josh Reynolds, who just last season caught 13 touchdowns as the number one option in that Texas A&M offense. And I just don't know if the Texas A&M defense is ready, but John Chavis sure knows how to plan a game plan for a Nick Saban offense. And I think he should have them ready for that, or at least up to task for this. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. John Chavis has been going against Nick Saban for almost a decade now, and they've had some amazing matchups. Um, and, I mean, the, the interesting part about this is we, we don't talk about this guy that much, but it, the key to the Alabama team is actually that offensive coordinator, uh, Lane Kiffin. I mean, we, we definitely give him a hard time. Most of the college football nation gives him a hard time because of how much he failed at – perceivingly failed at Tennessee and how he got fired at USC in the Raiders situation. But the guy has always known his offensive X's and O's. And um, in this game, this will probably be the best Texas A&M defense that Alabama has faced since Texas A&M joined the SEC. It'll be very interesting to see if, if Lane Kiffin can get those matchup issues, the matchups that he wants on the outside. And the question I have is, on the road, early in the game, how much does he just ride Derrick Henry and say, yo, Haas, get, I'll give you the ball, let you establish the line of scrimmage? Because when Alabama establishes the line of scrimmage early in the game, there's nobody in the country that wants to see that team. When our offensive line gets rolling and they mix in a little bit of play action pass and they're running downhill, nobody wants to see them. So I think they have to do that on the road. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what, what, what these game plans are coming into games. I don't know what either team's going to do because there's so many, so much talent on the field, but there's also so many question marks on the field. There is. And hopefully some of the question marks start to get answered uh, this weekend as far as with both of the teams, because out there, Nick Saban needs to know what he has coming down this stretch. And I know he's he's a little unsteady about this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> UCLA-Stanford, it's always a good matchup. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I, I shouldn't even – I should take that back. And, and, and Well, actually, I do mean that, but I mean that sarcastically. It's just for anybody, <laughs> anybody is not sure. Stanford has won the last seven games by an average of 18 points. The yeah. last seven games by an average of 18 points. So these matchups have not been close. I mean, I, I think there's one three-point loss for US, for UCLA in that. But that's ridiculous. That's like Florida, Tennessee, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> UCLA can't keep being Stanford's, I don't, I don't want to, you know, punching bag, play Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it has definitely seen that way in the past almost a decade now. It, it, it has. Um. I want to know the well actually I don't even not not I want to know Jim, Jim Moore Jr. if he wants to have a win if there's any win that's going to help him get over the the hump as a coach it's a win like this we said the same thing with um Butch Jones at Tennessee when they played Florida and this applies to Jim Moore Jr. because in order to win L.A., you have to beat mutual opponents. And right now, you have a chance to have a one-up on USC because, one, they don't have a head coach. And, two, you could say, hey, at least we didn't lose to Stanford. <laughs> yeah, this is, but, a, this is a matchup that UCLA, uh, they need to show up because they've had a tendency to play about nine really good games each year in the past three or four years. 
And then there's just three games where they just lay an egg. And, and the Stanford game has definitely been one of those matchups where they've done that. And when you look at the Stanford team, if UCLA and Stanford played week one or two, I'd pick UCLA by double digits. But I don't know what happened after week two. Maybe when they had that bye week and Stanford just had time, David Shaw had time to get those boys in a, in a room and say, hey, listen, forget that Northwestern game. We can still win this conference. They are a completely different team than what we saw those first two weeks. They're running the ball effectively. Kevin Hogan has been the most efficient quarterback in the country the past three weeks. And that defense, that 3-4 defense is playing like they used to play under hardball and like they played in those first two years under David Shaw. So this one's going to be interesting. I'm not going to make the pick yet, but UCLA has to – it's almost like with Tennessee, Florida, like you said. UCLA has to prove to me they can beat Stanford before I'm willing to trust them in this matchup. I, I don't know if I can trust UCLA just yet. I mean, their defense needs to come in with a, it, with, with a resolve to know that when they play against um, Stanford that they need to be ready for a fight. They need to be ready for, to win the battle in the trenches. And if UCLA is not ready to do that, then they're not going to beat Stanford because Stanford comes ready to do that every single game. So let's get to the the, the big one of coming up. You have on the shirt, you're repping proud. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State. Well, I should say Michigan State at Michigan, which is which is very good for this Jim Harbaugh-led team, because if Michigan had to go to Michigan State and all things the same, I think Michigan State has the advantage. But since Michigan State is coming into Michigan, into the big house, man, I think it's going to be people falling off the top row onto the concrete. I'm not wishing anybody dies, but that's just how crowded it's going to be at this game and how, you know, anticipated just in the state of Michigan – it it is it is because what you got the Michigan team that hasn't allowed anybody to score in the last three meetings while putting up what 20, 20 plus points. I think mm-hmm. that's something that's hasn't been done for a long, long time. And if it wasn't for a, what a late touchdown against who are they playing? I can't remember the team. Uh, UNLV. Yeah, UNLV. They would have. It would be four and a uh, four straight games. I don't. I can't think of any team in my in in my lifetime being this dominant on defense in college football. Can you, Brian? No, not 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 in, in my in, not not in my quick memory. I can't think of any team that's been this dominant. I mean, they are dominant in every phase of the defensive side of the ball. The line is getting pressured. The linebackers are always in the right position to set the edge and make the tackles on the running backs. The secondary is not giving up big plays, which is huge. Like it's almost like a team can get a big play or two in the passing in every game, no matter who you are. But that secondary led by Jabril Peppers, they're not giving up any big plays through the air. Fundamentally sound. And you can also just see a toughness. I, the thing I've noticed the most in Michigan, because I've been watching them the past four years very closely. If you watch it this Saturday, whenever there's a tackle being made, you see at least eight other maize and blue jerseys flying to the football. And that's an effort thing. That's something that it's not about talent. That's about effort. And Jim Harbaugh has instilled a mentality of all out effort in his football team. And they look like they're going to be almost impossible for anybody in the Big Ten to beat. And I, yeah, I said it. That's even including Michigan State and Ohio State. The way they're playing right now, they've got to be considered the favorite in the conference, maybe right there along with the Buckeyes. You know what? You get no disagreements from me. 
my my thing is I want to see how Connor Cook is going to react coming into a game of this magnitude for having to do it again because you know he had to have the, his redemption game against Oregon and he caught a or a bad Oregon team this mm-hmm. season. Now you're coming up against the best defensive team in college football right now and you are pretty limited as far as offense is concerned. Your rush your running game hasn't been the same that um, you know as it's been in the past and your defense is still good but there's it's missing a little something now that Narduzzi is gone. So I, I like D'Antonio as a head coach. I think now would be time for him to leave if he's going to leave Michigan and try to get a uh, Michigan State and try to get one of those premier coaching jobs. Because I think after Connor Cook leaves, you're going to see a Michigan State program that's going to come back to earth just as far as recruiting is concerned and everything else. And this might be his last hurrah. So, like, I, but back to my original question: Do you think Connor Cook has what has what it takes to win in the Big House in a game this magnet with a, a game of this magnitude? Yeah, I mean, so if you ask me about this, the Connor Cook of last year, I'd say yes. But for something is different about that guy this year. Don't get me wrong; he's still one of the top, I'd say, fifteen or twenty quarterbacks in the country. I'd love to have him starting for any team that I'm the coach of. He's a he's a great leader. He's got good fundamentals. But last year I saw, and maybe this is offensive line, maybe it's the coaching, maybe it's the receivers that he has at his disposal. But I saw a guy last year that had a swagger about him that didn't mind throwing the ball deep. He was accurate with the deep ball. He was accurate with the short passes. And he had full command of that offense. And I'm sure the running game helped him out last year because he was so strong. But this year, Connor, there are a couple games where he's at around 50% completion percentage. He's thrown some bad picks. Third and short, they've been terrible at Cameroon third and shorts against inferior competition like Purdue and Rutgers. And when you really look at Oregon, they put up, I want to say, what was it, 31 against Oregon? And we thought that was a good game. Mm-hmm. Since then, Oregon's given up 66 to Utah. They gave up 24 to Colorado, and they just gave up 38, I believe, or even maybe yeah, 38 to uh, Washington State, so, or maybe 45 to Washington State. So what Connor Cook did against Oregon is, is not impressive at all. I'm actually unimpressed with this. This, this is – this is the game of the year in, in, in for Michigan State. I, I know they play Ohio State later, but to, this is the game. Because if they lose this game, Darrington, you're 100% right. This program is going to start a slow but steady decline back to earth if they lose this football game. Yeah, they, they can't. This, this game means more for them than anything else. Because right now, this is a battle for Michigan supremacy. If you can't control your home state, you're not going to be able to be a national player. Yep. And so, I mean, with that, we might as well get to the picks because it, 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 I have nothing else to say about this game. We might as well pick who we think is going to win. So, based off of that, I just, I honestly, I honestly, Brian, I don't think Michigan State has what it takes offensively with Connor Cook to be able to beat this Michigan team. Now, granted, Michigan is a bad bad team offensively. They're not an offensive juggernaut, but I just think this defense is too good, so I, I'm picking Michigan. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. The way Michigan's playing in general, but especially the way they're playing at home right now, defensively, I can't see Michigan State going in there and putting up a lot of points on this team. I think Michigan will control the line of scrimmage, control the running game, and hold Connor Cook down, and I got Michigan winning. Okay, so let's go. We're going backwards. So UCLA, Stanford. Do you think UCLA can um 
can overcome Stanford and and shake this losing streak to them and 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 stop it at seven and not let it go to eight? Or do you think it's it's just over and done with? I think it'll go to eight before it stops. Next year at home with Drew Rosen being a veteran in the offense and with the team, I think they'll have a chance this year. On the road, Kevin Hogan, fifth-year senior, he's got full command of that offense right now. The running game is, is rolling. I like Stanford to get a win. Uh, I'm with you. Stanford at home, young quarterback, he's not ready yet. Auburn, excuse me, I said Auburn. Alabama, Texas A&M. Um, at Texas A&M. I am. The defense is playing well. I'm torn between this, but you know what? I'm 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 going to jump out on a limb. I'm I've I've gone against Nick Saban once and won. Okay, <laughs> I've gone against him once this season and lost. But one the the reason I went against him because of the the high scoring offense. The other reason I went against him was be, because of you know the softness in that's inside of me sometimes. So I'm going, I'm actually going Texas A&M. I believe Kevin Summerlin and that offense is too much for that Alabama defense. Give me Texas A&M. I, I like that pick. I think it's a, uh, this is a dangerous game for Alabama because I feel like not a lot of people are talking about Texas A&M and the SEC, even though they started out really well. Everybody's focused on Alabama, LSU, Florida, Ole Miss. I hear what you're saying. But I can't go against Nick. He's already had his one loss this year that refocused that team. I think his team is ready to roll for the rest of the year. I think Alabama gets a good, a tough, but good road win. Okay. I, I, you know what? I'm not mad at you. I'm, Florida, LSU. You, or I should say Florida and Leonard and the Fournettes. <laughs> Who you got, Brian? Yeah, I'll be quick. I think this one's going to be a, a, a your classic SEC defensive battle. I see a low-scoring game, both teams under 20 points. I think whatever quarterback can make more plays through the air, both will make some plays with their feet. Both running games will be okay. Both defenses will play well. Whatever quarterback can make a few deep plays through the air will win this game. I personally trust Treon Harris a little more than I trust Brandon Harris, and I think Florida gets a tough, tough road win. I know some people might not like that, but I got Florida going into Death Valley and getting a W. You know, I have Florida going into Death Valley as well and getting a W because I trust Treon. This team, the rest of the team is on such a high, and they feel so confident that I think that that boosts him and allows him to play at a at a at a better level. And USC Notre Dame. You know what? I would love to say USC is going to rally around each other and get get one for Sar- the Sarkeesian and that new staff, but nah, give me Notre Dame. Notre Dame's at home. USC has to f- travel a couple thousand miles away to go play this game, and I just don't think they're tough. I I just and I think that you see this team start to fall apart and become about me and anybody and everybody that can jump to the draft will go to the draft. So give me Notre Dame. I think that's a good pick. Um, I think it's a good pick. Everything points towards taking Notre Dame. But I tell you what, if this game was at USC, I would absolutely go with Notre Dame. It sounds funny. But because USC and those players can get on a plane Thursday night, fly to South Bend, get away from all the noise, all the distractions, all the newspapers, all the reporters, they'll be in a hotel room hunkered down together. They'll come together as a team on Friday night. I think they go into South Bend and they get an improbable 
win because Cody Kessler plays well. Juju gets busy, and that whole defense plays much better than they played against Stanford. I like USC to get a surprising win, the most surprising win of the weekend. Trojans win at South Bend. Okay. Well, those are the picks. And it's about that time, you know, we're counting down. Got a few minutes left in the show. And we're missing Eric, so Eric can't give us uh, his one thing. I mean, he's in the chat with us right now. If he wants to try to throw it in there real quick, I'll get it out there for him. But, um, Brian, one last thing for for everybody? Yeah, my, my one last thing is just we touched on at the end of last uh, episode, uh, last show, last week, um, and all three of us were kind of hesitant to say any of those hot seat coaches would get a win, but I got to give some props to uh, – to Bush Jones for finally getting a home win against one of his rivals in, in Georgia. Uh, and although it was sad to see Nick Chubb get injured in that game, but you got to give props to Tennessee. And I got to give a shout out to my man, Charlie Strong. He got the most, probably the most needed win of any coach in the country by beating his rival, uh, Oklahoma. So uh, shouts to Charlie Strong and the Longhorn shouts to, uh, to Bush Jones and the volunteers. Two really good wins for those programs. Oh man. Now I'm, I may be mistaken, but didn't I say Charlie Strong was going to beat, beat them? You did say it. You did say that. You did say that. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. That was a good call. A good call. Okay. All right. So, my one last thing. I have a question. Who will win out in the Big Ten? Because <laughs> as much as we want to discredit Michigan State, they are still a good team, mm-hmm. and Ohio State everybody's starting to forget about. They're becoming the Florida State of 2015-16 season. And you have the the young upstarts in Michigan. Nobody is talking about Iowa, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but but those three, those, those are the three it teams. And as much as I would like to say that Michigan State is there. They're clearly the number three team. Michigan is clearly cemented as the number two team. And Ohio State is to clearly, to me, cemented as the number one team in that conference. But when it comes to actually playing the game, I'm very much intrigued by the last game of the season in that conference because the matchup between Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh is going to be one that, you know, we're going to think back and say, hey, that was one of the best games we've seen in a long, long time. What do you think, Brian? I know I got a little long with it. I apologize. I did I did say something about that, but I, I do apologize. No, I, I, I agree with you. That, that game is shaping up to be quite a classic. Both teams have a couple games to get through before they get there, but that game could be for all the marbles to get to the Big Ten Championship and to get a playoff seat. Um, if I had to call it right now, I would take Michigan as a team to win out for the rest of the year because of how well that defense is playing. And I'm a big believer in my defense. But I think one thing to give Ohio State props on almost is that if you can play your C plus or B minus game and still beat other teams, that, that means something. They haven't played their best football yet and they're winning football games. That that scares me because when they start playing their best football, is that going to be in November? And and. Other Urban Meyer teams have tended to do that. If people recall, Florida lost, you know, that, that famous Tim Tebow game where they lost to Ole Miss, and then the team started rolling in, like, mid-October 
and on for the rest of the season. I can see this Ohio State team being like that. But to answer your question um, directly, I would say Michigan's my favorite right now, slightly, the slight edge over Ohio State because they play great defense and because they have both Michigan State and Ohio State at home in the big house. Well, that's the show, everybody. I thank everybody that uh, joined us live. I know a couple people fell off. Um, but if you are, or if you are listening, thank you, uh, HGH Thrive. I know you're here, Brittany. You always here, holding us down, listening. Eric, I know you had some technical difficulties, but appreciate it. Whilst uh, you were in the chat, um, Brian, we're on SoundCloud. We're on. Uh, well, sorry, we? we're on iTunes. Uh, we tweet. We're on Instagram. Uh, where wherever you can find us, you know Brian's not that technologically savvy, so you might not find him out there. But you can find me at Darrington G just about anywhere. If if you find me, you see me at me. You know I reply. I'm not a mean guy. I'm just not here to argue. <laughs> All right, peace, everybody.